Welcome to side three of this rock and roll over 35th anniversary celebration. Let's travel back in time to the 1970s. We'll hear some live cuts and some vintage interviews as we set the scene for what it was like when Kiss created the rock and roll over album. How have you changed? <laughs> How have you changed musically since you started? Bigger guitars. Well, you play any better? Yes. Yeah. How much better? This <laughs> much. <laughs> what the hell did I walk in? I don't know. <laughs> Peter, if you'd been at the last one, that's right. This is, was a going on? This, this is a continuation of rock radio <laughs> of the pizza party at the European restaurant. Have a pee pee. The pizza party. <laughs> Shut up, bro. I'll whack your pee-pee. I'll love it. Uh, <laughs> Again? <laughs> All right, now, Bob Ezrin, who produced who? Alice who? Cooper. You remember Bob Ezrin? No. You worked with him a little while ago. Yes. Zab Ezrin. Zab Ezrin. Any way you'd like to slice it. Yeah. Now, he's producing you guys now. Why did you decide... He's no longer producing. He's no Flash. Oh, Bob Ezrin. Oh, my goodness. Flash. You heard it first on backstage. That's right. Bob Ezrin, noted producer of Destroyer and Alice Cooper will not be producing our next album. Question. Yes. Why not? Because it's back to rock and roll. No, actually, Bob is going on to do other projects, and we're... He's going he's on... He's got commitments, and we've got commitments, and, uh... And we're getting committed, he's getting committed. I think We were very, we were very happy be. with the Shravers and I was... No, we were very happy with the combination, you know, of, of... It was good for one try. Yeah. In other words... We were when we did the Destroyer album. We wanted to try to do something a little different and see if we really wanted to do what we had been doing in the past. And after Destroyer, we all looked at each other and said yes. Why so, did you pick Bob Ezrin in the first place? Well, because he came to our door one day and said, "Hi, I'm Bob Ezrin." <laughs> and he said, "No." He actually said, "Can I have a chance?" And we said, "No." So he went home. <laughs> No, actually, uh, here's, would you believe this? There was a 14-year-old kid whose name was Mike Longman who kept telling him in Toronto, Canada, gee, you've got to go see these guys. They're really the most phenomenal band you ever saw. And he said, what's their name? And he said, ZZ Top. No, he said, go see the band. He came to see us, was knocked out, and he said, gee, I've got to make these guys, you know, let's see what I can do with them. And so we both got together, exchanged ideas, and, and came up with Destroyer. That's in Bob, a nutshell. Bob had his concept of what Kiss was, and at that time... We were really looking for someone to give us direction. Peter is now getting under the covers, smoking in bed. Smoking in bed. You know it's such a hot one. Smoking. The whole thing with Destroyer was we did it. You know, it's it's over with. It's past. And uh, we were very happy album, with the album, but we wanted to. He was very happy with the album. <laughs> And the next album will be produced by Eddie Kramer, who did Alive. So right there in a nutshell. Eddie Kramer is, you know. Yeah, Eddie Kramer is Alive. I'm glad and to hear that. I'm Jane. He just sure had a baby Mrs. boy. Mrs. Kramer is glad to hear that? He did? Yes. Congratulations, Eddie Kramer. Let me ask you something else. Do you guys know how loud you play on a double what? scale? What? Hello? It's affected you already, hasn't it? What? Actually, you don't get you. You don't have any impression of how loud it is out there because the sound system is what makes everything loud, and that's in front of us. See, with platform shoes on, you can never get blown You're off the stage. Yes, and we have parachutes on in case we fall off our platform. That's right. 
Well, it is very loud. Why, thank you. Sometimes painfully loud. Does no. it have to be that loud? Sweet painfully loud. Sweet painfully loud. I'll remind my eardrums the next time they bleed. Yes. yes. That's a nice time for a song. Mm. My eardrums bleed for you, so get out. That's good.
right, for those who haven't seen you guys on stage recently. Where have you been? Where have you been? Could you explain exactly what it is that you're doing on yes. stage? Uh, we're, we're a new folk act. Good. We sit on stools, we all have round glasses, we have basketball mm -hmm. heads, and we call ourselves the Denver Brothers. Now, you weren't... We sing about jets and mountains, and nobody cares. Good. <laughs> you I, would, I would like to make yeah. a statement. Go ahead. I would like to take an enema. Can you say that word? I think you just did. Take the word enema, mm -hmm. take one John Denver, mix well. I'd like to do that. And like you come up with John Enema. John Enema, that's great. And you make a little more money and you can do that. Fine. No, I think I'll knock on his door, mm -hmm. put on a blonde wig, tell him that I'm his wife. See, and mm -hmm. because in the roundness of it all, because we're all brothers and sisters on the face of the planet, this will make sense. Is he tired run. tonight? No. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm Gene. You're Gene. I'm sorry, it's Pete over there. Um, you're sorry? Hello, good. sir. Get out. How do you do? Very good. <laughs> Have you guys ever considered adding any additional instruments yes. to the group? Yes. Yeah. Well, next, why haven't you? Next tour, we have two viola players coming in. It's wonderful. We're going to kill Electrified <laughs> Orchestra and just steal the two viola players. Can I get up for one second? Thank you. Right. Gene is now getting up, picking up a matzo. Thank you. I'll do the play it's by ear. It's back to the roots. How do you play it by ear? Do you have nimble fingers on the ear? Yeah, it's right over here. Right on the end of your left ear, yeah. mostly. Do you see a day coming when Kiss is going to say, hey, listen, we've been playing with the makeup and the costumes you for never a know. long time. Now let's go out there and just play and we'll be us. Kiss will never be slobs. You know, Kiss may, may go through a lot of changes and turn into a lot of things, but we will never look like Jerry Garcia or Sergeant Garcia. Well, if you want to dress real spiffy, fine, but are you going to, do you think you'll ever just say, listen, we're not going to wear the we makeup? We don't know yet. Yes. Because um, you're you're really talking about the future, and the only thing we're concerned about is not necessarily not necessarily makeup or or any of the other special effects that we're using. We just don't want to be boring to ourselves and to the people that want to come and see us. So the effects and the and the makeup and everything else is just an attempt by us to be interesting. We'll, we'll always do whatever the audience wants, whatever gets them off. Cool. Do your fans know what you look like without that makeup? I mean, sure. Bye, Peter. Big, beautiful, Bye. and brawny. Cute. <laughs> cute sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, cute. Did you see that Brazil that was thrown on stage tonight? No. No. Did you go to see Leonard Skinner tonight instead of us? I think I did. I think well, you did. Were they wearing makeup? I think so. They were like wearing Brazil's on stage. Mm. Well, if, if the people know what you look like, do you still have to you can get into that thing where they're mobbing you as you come out of the theater or as you're walking down wait the street? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Because Paul looks more like himself on the street with... On, with makeup on and with in other words he looks more like his real self whenever yeah, I walk down the street with a towel everybody knows who I am yeah, you don't walk there goes that guy with the towel in the hand no I don't do that unless it's that time of the month <laughs> now and then we shove a a thing in his mouth and he, <laughs> that's right that's Kleenex. right make tea bags now, for Dracula I don't, I mean I don't get up I don't, got, I don't go on a bus and breathe fire at the guy and say here's my token mm -hmm. of my esteem but he does let me get on or the lion sleeps tonight that's wonderful that's good no, no, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, what do you want to do when this when you're done with Kiss? You're I'd not like to get laid right about <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't look at me. <laughs> okay, I'll say this. Look, I'd like to get laid right about Just group. <laughs> group rope. The fugs. <laughs> what do you want to do when you grow up and you're not playing rock and roll anymore? You're not touring, Wait you're not making records. I take offense to that. Well, <laughs> Luna the Shrapes and the Hobbits over the sack. Never more! 
I mean, if you only take it from one ass to the next. Put you. Thank you. Now, what does that mean? That means that fruit salad has its place in the, in the restraints of the world. If you turn to things. page 35 of Kahil Kabran's The Prophet, you'll understand. You'll understand. It's, it's there? It's there. Second oh line. I missed it all this time. Second that's line, right. read it backwards. Second line, that's right. Backwards, it says, Paul is dead. most pop stars, rock and roll is music, but to the members of KISS, it is something far different. The goal behind KISS uh, was to put together the kind of group that we always wanted to see on stage. There were always tinges of really exciting rock and roll showmanship on stage, but it was never a complete package. Uh, people like The Who and The Stones and Hendrix, all the people that we grew up listening to, um, only kind of hinted at what was possible on stage. We wanted to be actual living superheroes on stage, you know, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound and the whole thing. In fact, the music of KISS is mostly just the soundtrack for their stage performance. And the whole idea behind KISS is to do on stage what's never been done before. And that's what we try to do every time. Like, what hasn't been done before? What did you want to do that hasn't been done before? Fire-breathing 12-foot fireballs out of my mouth, uh, levitating a drum kit with a drummer 25 feet into the air, having a 15-foot logo sign, uh, 26 flash pods, fireballs going off 60 feet into the air, having a fire, um, all kinds of fire spectacles. Uh, uh, it snows on stage. There are our amplifiers blow up. We jump around on seven-inch high-heeled boots. We wear outlandish makeup. We are tremendously loud. Uh, we have a 15-foot logo that uh, can trace, go back and forth. There are Christmas lights all over the stage. There are high, there are 50-foot towers, lighting trees, um, completely self. Um, contain units with one guy in each of them that controls all kinds of effects that happen on stage. Notice Simmons doesn't say a word about the music of KISS. In fact, he says... It's not just music with KISS. That's, I know, I realize that's, that. That's the idea, that uh, the, the prices that everybody's paying for rock and roll concerts nowadays is so high that uh, it's no longer enough. That's the whole point. It's no longer enough to step up on stage and pay an outrageous price for a concert ticket and just hear the record re redone on stage. And yet, how is it that a time when glitter has been rejected and Alice Cooper has become nostalgia, that Kiss have become one of the biggest sensations in rock and roll? A possible answer to that question from this interview with Gene Simmons of Kiss continues tomorrow. This is Lou Irwin, Earth News Radio, for Clairol Herbalescence.
It is not unusual for 50,000 people to turn out for one of their performances. They turn out to see the group, not necessarily to hear them. And Gene Simmons of KISS is perhaps the first rock star to think of himself as a stage personality, rather than a record artist. The vinyl is a different medium, and the stage is a, a different medium, and we want to do something special on stage. We can't, we can't breathe fire on record. Uh, if we could, we would do it. The problem is that rock critics just don't know what to make of KISS. They can't really review their music, because music is really only an incidental concern of the group. So the critics spend much of their time comparing the group to Alice Cooper. But Alice was a defined character, and his shows, along with his music, had a theme. KISS is more like rock vaudeville. Nevertheless, Simmons admits that he got most of his inspiration from Alice. Let's face it, without Alice, we would have had a much harder time in doing this. And before Alice, it was somebody else, uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown, a 60s group that did visuals on stage. But uh, who we're compared to, it doesn't really matter. Um, we're not pompous enough to come out on stage and say we're the most original thing under the sun and what we're doing is completely new. We're not really concerned with that and uh, we don't want to make any kind of statement other than we want to be entertaining. Simmons won't exactly admit that the group would not be the success they have become if they had to rely just on their music. He will only say... I know that uh, if we wouldn't do what we did visually, we'd be a different band. It wouldn't be Kiss. It would be a different kind of band. Now, there are all kinds of bands that simply come out and play the tunes. But Kiss come out and play cartoons. They owe more to the Joker and the Human Torch than they do to Chuck Berry and the Beatles. And in fact, Marvel Comics will soon publish a Kiss comic book, Simmons says, the first rock act to be so immortalized. Meanwhile, Gene Simmons and his fellow Kisses continue to polish their mystique. It's 214 at WCFL, 34 degrees in Chicago. The M&M Mars School Spirit Contest is still underway. All junior high schools and senior high schools that have entered the contest should still collect wrappers from any M&M Mars candy bar or facsimiles. WCFL will still award KISS in concert to the school that collects the most entries per student. For more details, please call 222-1990. Day and night, Chicago's most beautiful music is right here, WCFL. I know there's some girls out there, some pretty girls out there. You want to meet us in the ladies' room?
Affleck and Shelley Finkel present Kiss at the Hartford Civic Center, Wednesday night, February the 16th at 7.30 p.m. I hear you calling, but I can't come home right now. Kiss at the Hartford Civic Center, the group that you've got to see to hear. Seats are reserved and are priced at $6.50, $7.750. Tickets on sale at the Hartford Civic Center box office. All tickets run outlets, Tech Stereo in Enfield, Harvest in Manchester, and Marty's Bloomfield. Kiss at the Hartford Civic Center, Wednesday night, February the 16th at 7.30 p.m. And on Saturday night, March the 5th at the Springfield Civic Center, WHYN invites you to see Johnny Winters, Muddy Waters, and James Cotton performing together on stage. Tickets are $6.50 and on sale right now. The longest kiss between two people is just under five days. But when you get four people together for a kiss, there's no telling what might happen. Rock and roll over. The latest moves from four very unusual beings called Kiss. Rhythm guitarist Paul Stanley thinks he's a combination of both sexes. Lead guitarist Ace Fraley says he's from another planet. Bass player Gene Simmons claims to have the longest tongue in rock and roll. And drummer Peter Chris, well, Casablanca Records publicist Sue Monero knows about him. Peter Chris, I mean, he relates to being some kind of cat. I mean, that's a very real thing. To see Kiss in concert is like having a ringside seat at Pearl Harbor. It's an audio and visual panorama of the good, the bad, and the unbelievable, all on one stage. Gene Simmons knows. We started out to be a rock and roll band, to be the most exciting rock and roll band we can think of. All these side effects kind of developed naturally without us even thinking about it. I know what it is that Kiss is, the primal therapy, the scream therapy that everybody goes to grown-ups, we're doing it free of charge. KISS might not replace the psychiatric profession, but when you stop and think about it, what else is there to do but scream at four guys who dress in black leather and spit fire? You like the way the wheels roll. You like my seven-inch leather heel. The most important thing to us is not to become boring in any way, shape, or form. If that means we start to get stale live or on record, it's time to change. Paul Stanley also has an opinion about KISS. I think the nice thing with us is that, at least I for one, when I listen to our music, I visualize us. And I think most of our fans do the same thing. We're visually oriented, so that when you hear our records, you go, wow, I can, I can picture them playing this song. There's no real way to describe what KISS is. Glitter, heavy metal, punk rock, maybe. But isn't everybody a little bit like that? Maybe what we need is a little KISS. Every day everybody's got all kinds of frustrations and you're following the rules of society and you're putting on certain costumes that people expect of you. A KISS concert is an exercise in release. You're there, you can scream all you want. It's your time to let yourself go. And the reaction? 
Sue Monero knows best. It was unreal. I mean, the audience response was just incredible. I mean, they'd never seen this before. They'd never seen anything like it. Because there isn't anything quite like Kiss. It's not any statement they're making. They're just saying, hey, we're here to entertain you, to have a good time. You can be free for these three hours. We don't take ourselves so seriously that we have to be musicians or stars. We can do whatever we want to do because it's fun. What Kiss does is fun, but it's also hard work. Not just any rock and roll band has the power to transform a hundred thousand civilized human beings into a horde of screaming, frenzied zombies. Rock and roll over with Kiss, a highly successful quartet of rock musicians from New York. But they weren't always successful. In fact, they weren't always. The nucleus of the group began to take shape three and a half years ago when Paul Stanley, an out-of-work rhythm guitarist, met up with Gene Simmons a bass player who just quit his old group. The two of them have fond memories of that first meeting. We met at a mutual friend's house. I was really obnoxious in the beginning, and uh, somebody said, here's Paul Stanley. He writes songs, too. I said, oh, yeah? Show me what you got. I proceeded to play songs, and all of a sudden, a revelation came to Gene that he wasn't alone in songwriting. <laughs> So the two were one, but it wasn't yet Kiss. We started in a different band. We were initially a, a five-piece with one short guy, one tall guy, one guy was overweight, one, one guy was underweight, one guy was a shrimp. I mean, it was uh, goulash. That's, that's the kind of band it was. It just had no directions at all, or all directions. And uh, that band recorded uh, one album that was never released, but we got paid for it, and with the money that we got from that album, Paul and I rented a loft and then started looking for people that shared our view. And the view was to become the biggest thing in the world. The biggest thing in the world, the gospel according to Gene, meant looking flashy and playing trashy. For help, they turned their gaze across the big pond. Just by the way they look. That's more 
our way of doing things. When we started the band, we went to see a lot of other groups, and what we wanted to do was, uh, wherever they were missing out, we wanted to fill that void. So if there was a band that sounded great and looked terrible, we wanted to sound as good but look better. But you can't build the biggest thing in the world with only two people. So they answered an ad in Rolling Stone magazine by a man who had had enough of drugs and depression. It read simply, drummer looking to make it, willing to do anything. A phone call from Gene Simmons put Peter Chris behind the drum kit. It was in a loft at 23rd Street and 5th Avenue in mid-Manhattan. Rehearsed as a trio for about four months. We got 15 songs or so down. Then we put an ad in the voice that said, uh, Lee guitarist wanted with Flash, must be serious, etc., etc. After auditioning a virtual rogues gallery of musical incompetence, a scrawny-looking Ace Fraley entered the loft late one night, plugged in, and was hired. Paul dubbed the group Kiss, and the four were off and running with a vengeance. <laughs> Six days a week, without exaggerating, all five to six hours a night. And sometimes we'd go seven days a week. And we'd start at, uh, oh, about six o'clock in the evening. We never took off holidays. We were there Thanksgiving. You know, we were always up in that loft. Dedication. That's what Kiss had. It was 1973, and they wanted to make it big. They didn't want to wind up like all those other New York groups. The trouble with the New York scene back then and even currently is that no matter how productive everybody becomes they tend to cut themselves off from from the outside world so that the music and the humor becomes very regional lots of the new bands in new york look like messenger boys you know that that kind of street look that uh, is very common in peoria illinois and uh, places like that and the, the problem most of these bands don't realize is when, they, when they're going to eventually get up on stage in front of middle America, they're going to be torn apart because they look less exotic than the people in the audience. For years, Kiss played the clubs and promoted itself. Then on July 4th, 1974, a music producer named Bill O'Coin saw them perform at a raunchy old hotel in Times Square. He immediately signed them to a management contract with two conditions that he would build the group into a spectacular major act and that he would get them a record contract within two weeks or the deal was off. Two weeks later, Kiss could lick their chops. The idea when Kiss got together was here were four people who could front their own band. In the annals of rock and roll, there has never been anything quite like a Kiss concert. You can listen to their records and you can talk to your friends but until you see them in action, you'll never be kissed. Sue Monero, Casablanca Records' chief publicist, can testify. Having seen them visually really becomes a very important part of them. It's not the only part. Their music is so important. Uh, but it's sort of like when you go, I guess I related to when you see a movie or a theater and you hear the, the music after you've seen it, it kind of takes on another dimension for you. KISS was the first group signed to Casablanca, 
and the company put everything they had into it. KISS became a sensation, not only through the combined efforts of themselves and their company, but because they knew what rock audiences wanted. And they were willing to do anything, no matter how outrageous. What we do is so large and so sensational that anything we say comes across as a hype. Because when you start describing the show, oh, the drums go up 20 feet in the air. And there's smoke bombs all over the stage, and the stage explodes. It sounds like a lot of both. I mean, what we do is so much larger than life and so much bigger than anything anybody else does. It's got to come off. It's almost sensationalism, and it's really just that. Try to visualize four young men in their 20s up on stage, clad in specially designed black leather jumpsuits, dotted with silver brads, rivets, and rhinestones. Their hair is long, dark, and teased beyond recognition. They're perched atop seven-inch platform shoes, and their faces are masked in kabuki white makeup with individual touches of black and silver. This is the look of Kiss. The concept for flash and makeup were there from the beginning. Exactly how we were going to use it wasn't. There was an area where it started to really expand from Kiss's banners makeup and I mean waiting I mean you waited for for the explosions and you waited for Paul to come out on stage or for Gene to stick his tongue out I mean those were really exciting moments and I watched children get up on their feet I mean and light the matches before they even went off the stage I mean they were just so into what was happening and no one else at that point was really providing that kind of show special effects firm in the country to augment the show with flames, explosions, fog, blizzards, bombs, blood, sirens, and dragon mouths. What else can KISS do? They can hit you with 100 decibel thunder. from his mouth. He's Gene Simmons, the evil-looking bass player, and his training is well-known to Casablanca's publicity department. He is a man who knows every long chaining, every heart lift that has ever been released, the blood and the fire that he blows out, and that's very much a part of what he feels, and he was into that. You're selling an image, just as important as your music. The stones aren't the stones without their image. KISS is an all-encompassing rock-and-roll theatrical roadshow. It's modern-day vaudeville and the theater of the absurd. And it's terrific. What we do is we're actually acting out what we're saying, but in fact the tunes are scenarios. They're kinds of uh, little stories about little situations that happen. It's a new generation. In 1960, 
There were X number of millions of young people born, and they are now 17 years old. Kiss bass player Gene Simmons, dragon, horror movie freak, and part-time philosopher. When most of the people around today started to get excited about the Beatles, our fans were three years old. It's a new generation, it's a new ball game, and they're our fans now. In the past two years, Kiss has gone from an obscure New York club band to one of the first real teenage sensations of the 70s. Aided by Casablanca's huge promotional campaign, Kiss rose to superstardom among the young. There were contests, giveaways, advertisements, fan clubs, t-shirts, and all the rest. Even buttons and belt buckles. You could be Kiss just about anywhere. And always uppermost in the minds of Kiss were their fans. We're so close to our audience, we're all from the same stock. Without even making a conscious effort, in enacting out our own fantasies. Yeah, we're enacting out the audience's fantasies because they're all one and the same. Very simply, a KISS concert gives people the chance to dress up, go out, and trick or treat, even if it isn't Halloween. They can go out um, and be something else for a night. It allows them to expand into a kind of fantasy world in some ways. I think one of the things that KISS represents to a lot of, of males is that basically you can look any way you want or run around and be whoever you want to be and still be a real man. The result of all that promotion and devotion was a cult following of dedicated fans who do more to promote the image of the group than anything else. They've come to be known as the KISS Army. I think we are regarded most seriously by our fans. The interesting thing that's happened with us, that's already happened with some of the early 60s bands, Beatles, Stones, whoever else, is that the people that really buy records, our fans, find themselves with a real generation gap with people over 20 who don't buy records. There is a new generation gap. Our fans are the new generation. The secret to the KISS appeal might be the fact that even if you can't look like them, you can feel like them. A straight nine-to-five job may not be too exciting, but if you feel outrageous, that's all that counts. And KISS fans definitely feel outrageous when they're with their leaders. I think KISS is a mirror of the audience so that everybody in the audience sees their sentiments and every fantasy in their head enacted on stage. So um, it's almost like dreaming while you're awake. It's very rare that there's fights at our concerts. There's more wondrous amazement. It is a fan club, but it's also not because they're really special, you see. They become a very special part of KISS really because kiss themselves care what these kids know and what they want but at the start gene noticed there was something missing initially when we first came out we didn't have a lot of female fans girls that were really crazy about the group i think because they weren't used to real honest to god masculine expression on stage throughout the whole 60s a lot of the british front men were all kind of limp-wristed guys you know who used to wear makeup and 
guys that are coming out and stomping their feet left and right with black and white makeup on as opposed to uh, pinks and satins and things like that is a big departure from everything. And it's a very strong kind of thing. You're God! You're God! was the beginning. Nowadays, girls are the most loyal fans, and they're not afraid to be kissed anymore. Kiss has brought back flamboyance and présence to rock and roll. To watch them perform is an exciting and entertaining pastime, but mystique, image, and intuition will only get a band so far before it must be redeemed by music. And make no mistake about it, Paul and Gene have definite feelings about their music. This is high energy, straightforward, immediate music. Music that's now. It's this second. It's that current. I don't see it as heavy metal. Heavy metal is mostly pretty boring. Heavy metal groups really can't have singles. We write songs, basically. We have hooks, and usually the titles of the songs are the things you can sing along to it in the middle of the tune. So uh, Kiss has had rock and roll singles. Kiss is one of the few guitar bands you can hear on uh, AM radio. We play with um, urgency, you know, as though it's important this moment. Kiss now has seven hit albums on the market, and they've only been together three and a half years. That's a pretty big accomplishment and a testimonial to the popularity of their music. Like a lot of things, KISS music is maturing with age. At this point, though, we're putting more emphasis into our music, let's say, than before, but that's probably because we've been playing together for three more years. So uh, you have to get better at what you do. The new album is much, much stronger musically and much more sure-footed, but that's not because uh, we're forsaking the live show or the image or anything. It's just that... Naturally, you, you evolve as a musician. Their latest album, Rock and Roll Over, follows in the footsteps of their previous ones. Rocking, moving, foot stomp and boogie, but with a twist. Casablanca's Sue Monero had an observation. The new album, which is titled Rock and Roll Over, is a combination of both Kiss Alive and Destroyer. There's a lot of rock and roll. There's a lot of good music. I mean, it's a combination. I think it's going to be their biggest album ever. This whole album could come out as a uh, Wimpy and the Popeyes or whatever you want to call it, and it would still be an, an excellent album. This album will stand up to any album, strictly musically. On the last Kiss album, Destroyer, something quite different took place. There was one song in particular that had everybody talking, not only in terms of technical excellence, but in versatility. A new word was added to the KISS vocabulary. Ballad. My feeling is that with Beth and with the next single, let's say, we show people that we're at least as capable, if not more capable, of putting out ballads that are as good as anybody's. Suddenly, this entourage of outraged rock was becoming a bit more respectable. Casablanca Records released Bet as a single, and it was climbing to the top of the charts. It was their biggest hit ever, and Kiss was going to have to do some explaining. 
We really didn't come out with Beth until the fifth album. You know, by the time we'd established ourselves, everybody knew what we were all about, what we were capable of. And the fifth album was a was an attempt at being kind of artsy. Uh, we sat down for the first time in the studio and, you know, tried to play something classy. This album, we are going back to our first album kind of concept. We stood up, we played in a live kind of atmosphere. There were no people there, but everything was recorded with a very kind of live sound. It was recorded in, in a theater and around. The response to the single was overwhelming. Suddenly, Kiss was being heard, not only on AM, but on easy listening radio as well. It was almost too much to bear. With the new album, I think our attitude now is that there's people that want ballads, and if they want to hear us play a ballad, it's not above us or below us to do it. Obviously, we're capable of doing it because there's another one on this album. See, in the beginning, most of the writing was done by Paul and I, and uh, Peter didn't really start writing until uh, later on. But the strange thing is, the ironic thing is, that our biggest single was written by a drummer, Peter Chris. Kiss isn't for everyone. I know lots of people in, in media, in uh, you know, the publishing world, and just business people, don't necessarily get off by the music and certainly don't want to go see us live. They're just, you know, kind of respectable business people. And if the concept is a kind of bigger than life thing. We offer such a diverse kind of appeal that you can like us for our visuals, you can like us for what we stand for, you can like us for our music. Kiss is one band that's caused quite a stir in the press. It seems they either really like them or they really don't like them. Gene Simmons suggests the scientific approach. The honest thing for somebody to do when they go to, to one of our concerts is report exactly what happened. Kiss played 15 tunes. From beginning to end, people were on their feet. By the time the concert ended, people walked out drenched. Conclusion, they were possibly entertained. You all hear some of what Kiss does on the radio. But that hasn't hurt their popularity any. Paul Stanley has an open mind about it. In the past, it mattered. You know, I, I didn't like the idea that there were certain stations that couldn't play us, but that's to be expected. I guess there's certain stations that don't play John Denver. with success and kiss is a successful group what they do is in demand lots of people come to kiss concerts so they must like what we look like lots of people buy the record so they must like what we sound like so the only conclusion i can gather is they like what we sound like and they like what we look like about the meteoric rise of Kiss to superstardom. Here's one of the top bands in the world, and we're so young. I mean, there's bands that uh, are four years old, three, four years old, that are still in garages rehearsing. So I think it's interesting to realize that you're watching a band evolve. Like all living things, Kiss is growing, changing, 
evolving. For them, the sky's the limit. be into probably films and their own television specials eventually because they have that dimension. They proved they had that dimension when they appeared on the recent Paul Lynn television special as his featured guest for Halloween. But Kiss doesn't stop there. They've decided that if you can't come and see them, they'll come to see you. They're starting up their own comic book. Well, it's going to be a very serious comic book with very professional artwork, the best we can get. Uh, the best writing is going to be very straight ahead serious, as serious as comic books can be. We're not comedians and we're not Donald Duck, you know. Anybody that threatens to conquer the world, we're, we're the guardians of the known universe. We're going to be superheroes. We're going to fly, we're going to jump, we're going to breathe fire. We're superheroes. the looks of their record sales and sellout performances, KISS are already superheroes. They're the hottest thing in rock, and still they continue to change, yet they remain the same. They're good, but baby, they are bad. All that's left is to rock and roll over with KISS. stand your own ground and that's it people were saying you know we got tied in with all the glitter and all that nonsense so glitter bands are going out kiss you're going to die heavy metals going out you guys are going to die well we we are kiss and we don't fit any other description so we stand by ourselves rock and roll over with kiss was written by tom hall and produced by Sylvia Clark and George Burns at Watermark Studios in Hollywood. Our director and engineer was Lee Hansen. This is Humble Heart. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podkist is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podkist is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkist crew, Thank you for listening to Podkist, the KISS fanzine for your ears. Mm -hmm.